Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. It's really good to be with you. I actually want to begin in prayer, but before we pray, I, uh, I just want you to consider something. I want you to consider your soul condition today. Like, how are you doing? How's your soul feeling? Are you feeling spiritually like you're dragging a bit? Are you just spiritually, your soul's going through the motions? You feeling empty? You feeling, maybe you're on the other end of the scale and you're feeling full. I I often talk about kind of taking a spiritual, uh, you know, a gauge point, if you will, by using the fuel gauge. Like, are you at a quarter tank? You at a half tank? Are you full? Are you running on fumes today? Maybe you just need prayer today because after church you actually have to go get real gas, right? And you're like, I don't know about that. But, you know, I actually don't like stopping to fill up my gas tank. I don't know, it's just something I never enjoy doing and chances are when the fuel light comes on, I'm in a hurry to go somewhere else, you know what I'm saying? And I have to stop and do it. And, Maybe you've had one of those moments when you're in such a hurry, you stop, you pull over, and you don't have time to fill up the entire tank, so you just fill it up like nine or 10 bucks. You guys know what I'm talking about? You just go really fast, and you do the over squeeze, and it's 10.01, and you're like, oh man, I'm such, but, but here's the thing. I feel like this is like, that little picture is, is a picture for us and how we get, how, what we do in our, in our spirituality. We fill up just enough to get by instead of get full. You know what I'm talking about? A lot of us are getting by by just hurrying through and stopping just long enough to keep moving, but we're not getting full and we have a God who wants to fill us. We have a God who wants us to be full and to the brim. And today we come here and I'm asking you how your soul is because I want you to know that we have a God who wants to fill you up. And so we're gonna pray because I want you to consider this, that God knows exactly where you are. He knows you. He knows how you feel, what you need, what you're afraid of, how you, how, how, how you wonder if, if God's going to answer that big burning question. And I just want you to know God is here and he wants to encourage you today. And so we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. So would you just, would you just really like as we enter in with this prayer, would you just open your heart right now? Would you bow your heads with me? God, we begin by recognizing that you're for us. Thank you for being for us. We know that you want to meet us today. Thank you, God, for the wonderful and marvelous ways that you lead us. You hold the universe together. And so, Lord, we can be confident today that you can hold our lives together. You hold us in your hands and and you're trustworthy. God, we pray you forgive us when we diminish who you are. We make you smaller than you ought to be in our life. Forgive us for the times we take control and the times we take credit for the things you do. We just invite your Holy Spirit to come today. Come and move in us for your glory, for your sake. We invite your spirit to move in this place. and We are grateful for your presence. So, Lord, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. A few years ago, you know, I was able to um, 
I was able to, to visit the city of Prague in the country of the Czech Republic. And Prague is this amazing, historic, beautiful city. It's one of those cities that you definitely want to take your time to explore. It's, it's a city that you don't want to drive through it. You want to walk through it. It's, and, and for example, some cities, some cities you can drive through no problem. Tulsa, drive through it. <laughs> Prague, you walk through, right? Right? Paris, you walk through. Houston, you can drive through it. New York, you walk through. Des Moines, you can drive through. No offense, Tulsa or Des Moines is. What about Oklahoma City? Walk through, drive through? Come on, guys. Love your city. You walk through it, right? Of course. Well, the two days that I was in Prague, I walked 23 miles. And my last day, I ended a walk up on this huge steep hill, got up to the top of it, it was overlooking the city, and they had turned us into a park, and it was actually a rose garden. And so I literally stopped and smelled the roses. How many know that sometimes, sometimes you need to stop and smell the roses in life, right? And to be able to stop and smell the roses, you have to learn how to walk. Sometimes we have to learn how to walk through things in order to experience what God really wants us to experience. You know, when we were starting this church, you know, I would bring people to 23rd Street and I would, I would want them to kind of catch the vision of what we believed God was wanting to do. And so I never wanted to just drive people down 23rd Street. I wanted to stop and we would get out and we would walk. And we would walk through the community in order to let people not just see it, but we felt like, you know, when you walked, you could feel it. And in those days, like 10 years ago, you wouldn't really smell the roses. You would smell the aroma of like dead cats on 23rd Street. But nonetheless, you could smell and bring in, if you will, even the brokenness and the need of something. God's word is all about walking. Check this out, Psalm 119, 105. He says, your word, this is one of my favorite passages, your word is a, what does it say, is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. He will lead us as we walk with him. Micah 6, 8, and what does the Lord require of you? We've read this passage the last couple weeks. To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. Everyone say, walk humbly. I love this, Genesis 6, 9, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Think about that, blameless in his generation. And why? Because Noah walked with God. Genesis 17, one and two. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk with me and be trustworthy and I will make a covenant between us. How many know that covenant was a pretty big deal? 1 John 2, verse 5, it says, By this we may know that we are in him, meaning that we are in Christ. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked, meaning we should walk the way that Jesus walked. So here's what we're going to do. Today we've titled today's message, More Walking in a Culture of Wanting. More Walking in a Culture of Wanting. We are in part... Eight of our series, There's More. 
We believe that when you come to the end of yourself, at the end of who you are, there's actually more. God has more for you and more in you and more around you. So to get us started, why don't everybody just say like we do every week, there's more. I want to say it like we mean it. Say there's more. We live in a culture that tells you to buy me, try me, eat me, smell me, put you put you in my hair and and it'll make you happy, right? They want you to want more. To be a success, there is an unspoken checklist of things you must have in order to be satisfied in this life. You should either want a nice house, a nice car, nice clothes, I don't know, even a nice dog or cat, if that's your thing. We live in a culture that tells us that you should want stuff, want status, and want the things you don't have in order to be happy. And all this wanting places us in a chasing mindset where we run after things in this world while God is saying, if you'll just walk with me, I will give you all the things that you truly want. Today, we're going to spend some time in a powerful passage, uh, one of the truly great pieces of literature in the history of the world, not just Christian literature, any literature. We're going to spend some time in Psalm 23, written by David as a poem of trust and surrender. And the imagery of walking with the Lord is powerfully illustrated through this relationship, as we'll read about, as a lot of you already know from Psalm 23, this relationship between a sheep and its shepherd. So today we're going to take some time and just we're going to settle in for a good long walk in God's word. Y'all ready to go? You guys ready for that walk? We're going to walk. We're not going to run. Psalm 23 says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Right off the bat. I shall not want. I don't want anything else, Lord. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Everyone say restores. He leads me in paths, meaning he's leading us, he's walking us. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. No matter what we walk through, he walks with us. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You see, he wants that tank to be full and overflowing in your life. He says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So again, this Psalm is written by David. Most scholars believe he wrote it late in life as he was a king, but before he was a king, most of us know that he was also a shepherd. He was a shepherd as a young man. And there's a person who knew what it meant to be a shepherd. David, in just a few short words, beautifully illustrates this picture of a relationship between the sheep and its owner and its leader. Now, if you've been in church, I know you know about the relationship between a sheep and a shepherd. We talk about it a lot, but this is a unique relationship. And this idea of God being understood as a shepherd is actually not our idea. It's not David's idea. It's actually God's idea. Throughout scripture, he uses this imagery, this illustration to describe himself. Remember what Jesus said? What did he say? He said, I am the good shepherd. 
I lay my life down for the sheep. So Jesus himself calls himself a shepherd. So let's consider for a moment what this psalm is saying, all right? It says as emphatically, in my opinion, and as any other passage in scripture, it's saying, follow me. Trust your life in my hands. It says, no matter what, I will lead you through your life. I will give you everything you need. This is what the psalm is saying, right? You don't need to want other forms of things that, that claim to give you life, but they're empty of their claim. As you follow me and trust me throughout the duration of your life, God says goodness and love and mercy will follow you wherever you go. So this psalm is a, a picture of a life that entrusts everything to God and walks with God. And, and honestly, this is one of those psalms, even this week as I spent time with it, I can't read it enough. It's like looking at a beautiful piece of art. This poem is like a beautiful piece of art for me. When you're looking at a beautiful piece of art, it just draws you in even deeper and you're mesmerized by what you're experiencing. You're mesmerized and you're coming into the, into the moment and into the picture that's being created. And that's what this poem is for me. Psalm makes me wonder something. It makes me wonder, am I walking with Jesus or am I wanting from Jesus? It makes me wonder about a lot of things. Like for example, what if, what if we could tra get a transcript of our prayers over the last year? Your prayers, my prayers. What if there was a transcript written out of all of our prayers? What would the transcript say? Would it depict a life that walks with God or would it depict a life that wants from God? Are we stopping to smell the roses with God or are we driving through life sort of asking him to give us directions for our next destination? This psalm does make me wonder if I'm trying to go too fast in life. And fast doesn't always mean busy, by the way. Fast could just mean distracted, never slowing down long enough to notice and pay attention to what's going on around you. How many have, how many have ever taken a road trip for longer than like two hours? Like a proper road trip, raise your hand, proper road trip in your life at any point as a kid, as an adult, yes, most of us. And when you did it, if you were a kid when you did it, or if you have kids, you'll remember that on every road trip, eventually one question comes from the back seat. <laughs> and that question is, are we, there yet? are we there yet? Are we there yet, mom, dad? How much longer? As a kid, as soon as the road trip begins, we want it to end, right? We want to get where we're going as fast as possible. And when you're riding in the back of a minivan, I don't know if you've noticed this, but time slows down. As a kid driving to someplace that's not, you could drive to Ardmore, Oklahoma, and you think you just traversed the entire continent because it took forever, right? Time goes slow when you're a kid. Summer feels like two years, but as an adult, what? Summer, you can blink and you miss it. So these days, now that I'm a dad, now that I'm the one in the driver's seat and I have kids in the back seat, one of them asks me, are we there yet or how much longer? I just say, hey, just a little while longer. We'll be there soon. That's what I said. And in parent language, do you know what a little while longer means? What it means? It means we got a long ways to go. You better just settle in, buckle up. A little while longer means I, it's so long from now, I'm not even going to tell you how long it is. 
What's sort of amazing about road trips <clears throat> is that now as a parent, I've actually grown to love the road tripping. You know what I mean? I enjoy the journey. I enjoy getting on the road with my family and taking our time to get where we're going. I love, you know, stopping and getting snacks at the snack shack, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? Wherever that is. Sure, the destination is great. The destination is great, but the journey is great too. I actually enjoy the journey. And I sort of think this is a great picture of what it can look like with our Heavenly Father. As kids, we are always saying to God, are we there yet? Can we get there? How much longer, God? And he's always saying, hey, just a little while longer. Just a little while longer. Because the relationship with God seems to be so much, if you think about it in your life, it seems to be so much about waiting and patience and trusting and journeying with God. So perhaps we could say it this way. To the father, it's about our journey together. To the kid, that journey seems like it takes forever. But to the father, the destination is just a little while longer. You know the scripture in 2 Peter chapter 3, it says, with the Lord, the day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So what is forever to us is a day to the Lord. We're always in the back of the minivan bugging God. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And God is always just saying, just a little while longer, because here's what God loves to do with us. He loves to journey with us. He's like, will you walk with me? Will you go with me? And this is just sidebar, but sometimes I think we have to learn what it means to wait with God instead of the attitude we typically had of waiting on God. Because when we wait, when we wait on God, what do we do? It's like the toe tapping, you know, looking at our wrist, going, all right, God, when's this going to happen? And we're, we're waiting on him. But when we wait with him, something different happens. Because when we wait with him, we're fully satisfied in his presence. We're fully satisfied. Like, where we're going isn't as important because I'm with the Lord. And so I'm actually enjoying the journey with the Father because I'm waiting with him. And he's all I really need. But when I'm waiting on him, I'm expecting from him, demanding from him, and wanting him to get his stuff together so I can get where I need to get. But when I wait with God, complete fulfillment in his presence. And this is the picture God is giving us in Psalm 23, by the way. So let's look a little deeper. Specifically, I want to look at the first three verses of this psalm. All right, the first three verses, that's all we got time to do today. I love every part of this psalm. I wish we could break it all down, but the first three verses get me every time. The first five words, in fact, they set the tone and they lay down the tracks by which everything in this passage can be understood. The Lord is my shepherd. Famous theologian Charles Spurgeon says, there's no if. The Lord is my shepherd if. He also said there's no but. The Lord is my shepherd but. He also said there's no I hope. I hope the Lord is my shepherd. No, he said the Lord, David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. Everyone say is. is. Sometimes is is a powerful word. The Lord is my shepherd. These five words lay the tracks. They set the key that the song is sung in. Y'all with me? The Lord is my shepherd. And, and for David, who was a shepherd, he knew the significance of a shepherd and what it is to the livelihood and the health of the sheep. 
There's an amazing book by a guy named Philip Keller, who's a 20th century shepherd. And he takes this, this understanding of what it means to be a shepherd, and he breaks down Psalm 23. I'm going to read a few, of, a few segments of his book to you today. But he says this about this first line, the Lord is my shepherd. He says, when the simple, though sublime statement is made by a man or woman that the Lord is my shepherd, it immediately implies a profound yet practical working relationship between human being and his or her maker. I love this line. It links a lump of common clay to divine destiny. It means a mere mortal becomes the cherished object of divine diligence. This is actually pretty poetic. And if you really start to understand the relationship between a sheep and the good shepherd and a sheep, he's saying this relationship creates the context for you to understand how much God cares for you. He also says, and by the way, us as humans, we're a lump of common clay. But because he's the good shepherd and a shepherd that's really good, is very diligent at his work for his love and affection for his sheep. So it's common clay coming into contact with the divine diligence of our heavenly father. That's a good place to be. That's good news. Keller goes on about the power of declaring the Lord is my shepherd. And he declares this truth about ownership that he has of us. He says this, it drains the ego of a person and puts things into proper perspective. When we say the Lord is my shepherd. I am bound to admit that his ownership of me as a human being is legitimate. And it's patently clear that most men and women refuse to acknowledge this fact. Their deliberate attempts to deny that such relationship even exists or could exist between a human and their maker demonstrate their abhorrence for admitting that anyone can claim ownership or authority over them by virtue of bringing them into that being. He is saying the statement, the Lord is my shepherd, flies in the face of those who are unwilling to come under the ownership and the lordship of their creator. I don't think we think about it a lot, a lot that the Lord owns me. I'm his. So a shepherd marks his sheep, marks them, either a brand or, or back in those days, they would cut their ears and there'd be a really distinct cut in their ear to where the shepherd knew exactly which sheep were his. There was no debate over it. That one's mine. That one's not mine. That one's mine. That one's not mine. By that mark. And he's saying, those are my sheep. And David is declaring, I'm yours, God. I'm yours. I am one of your flock. I am one of your sheep under your care. You not only made me, but you own me. And I trust my life under your care. I place my life in your hands as my constant God, my constant caregiver, my constant protector. This is what David's writing. It's well known that sheep require meticulous care. In fact, it's been known for sheep to literally walk off cliffs, if not guided by their sheep. They aren't the smartest of animals. So it's no surprise that we are often compared to sheep, right? We need meticulous care. The last part of that first verse is another remarkable statement. The Lord is my shepherd. And then he says, I shall not want. To me, this is like a countercultural statement for us. But I, ask, I have to ask myself, does this mean I'm not allowed to want anything? 
Does this mean I'm not allowed to have dreams and desires? Does this mean I can't enjoy material things in this world? I don't think that's what this is at all talking about. This is altogether something different. This is a cry of the human heart that says, God, I don't really need anything but you. You are more than enough. With you, I have everything. Without you, I have nothing. I am completely, utterly satisfied in you, God. This is what it means that I shall not want. Another scripture, another translation of the scripture says, I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Can you truly say, I lack nothing? This idea of want, though, it's central to the American dream in our culture. It is. Wanting is actually one of our key cultural idols. It's one of our motivators. We chase after what we want. Whether it be the chase for money, the chase for some sort of status, the chase for comfort or convenience, the chase for success, the chase for fame, the chase for more material things, the cha- whatever it is we want. Psalm 23 reminds us there's a different way to do life. There's a different way to do life. It's like a sheep under the care of the good shepherd. I mean, it is a different way to live. It's essentially about trust in so many ways. Can you let his ownership of you drown out the cultural noise to want something else? I actually think that's a really important question for every human being. For those of you that may be considering your faith, maybe you don't know exactly what you believe about God or what you believe about a relationship with God. The question boils down to this, can you trust God? Do you see him as your maker and can you place your life in his hands? Because it does say in the scriptures that someday God is gonna separate every human being, the ones that he sends to what he calls the right, which enter into the kingdom of heaven or those who have entrusted their life to him. And for those he sends to the left through eternal separation from him, those have not entrusted their life to him. So this this is a core question for every human, but even as believers, even if you've said yes to him already and you're following him, this question of trust is still active and alive in your life. I mean, are you trusting him in all things or is there something that has snuck into your life to where you've started playing a different song, the key structure has changed in your life and you're now wanting something else? You think that that somehow if you achieve something or you receive something or you get something, that that is gonna be the thing that satisfies you. And as Christians, we can easily slide into another posture of wanting something from this world as that is our main chief objective in life. We have to constantly ask ourselves, what do I really want? Can I say that I lack nothing? David goes on to say about his shepherd, that he makes me lie down in green pastures. Which of course, right? Of course he makes us lie down because most of us really don't understand what that means. <laughs> in today's world, we are overcommitted, constant busyness. Even in our quote downtime, it's go, 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 right? We're going all the time. So we can even take this strange pride and how busy we are and how little we lie down and we wear it like a badge of importance and (laughs) sometimes sheep will not lie down though real sheep will not lie down even when they need it generally they are reasons behind the sheep's restlessness when my kids were younger there would be nights where they just would not lie down we were trying to get them to bed they would get up get to go to bed then they get up and then i would say you know what you're either going to go to sleep or i'm going to put you to sleep 
<laughs> mm. <clears throat> You're in my world now, Grandma. So, <clears throat> some of you get that. Some of you get that. Philip Keller, our modern-day shepherd, writes about this. He says, there are several conditions under which a sheep will not lie down. Sheep are timid creatures. As long as they are afraid, they won't lie down. Okay? They won't risk resting. Because they are social creatures and sometimes tension is in the flock, they won't rest when tension between the sheep exists. Because they are creatures of appetite, if they're empty inside, if they're hungry, they will not lie down. They won't lie down until they are free from fear, free from tension, and free from hunger. Does this sound familiar? Oh my goodness. Well, no wonder we're sheep. They need to be free from fear, free from tension, and free from hunger in order to rest. How y'all doing? You see, what gives the sheep assurance to rest is the presence of a good shepherd. When there's a really good shepherd, the sheep will even lie down when life isn't perfect. When there is some fear or some tension or they're hungry, they'll still rest because they trust in the shepherd. The shepherd is leading some of us to lie down, to rest. And I think he wants you to know today that if, you're, if you just need rest, that he's got you. You don't have to worry. He's got you. If you're like, I mean, I don't even know how to find time to rest. I just want to, the most cliche thing, but it's true. Like you will find time for the things you want to do. There's time for rest. Often though, we make rest something other than simply lying down when God tells us to. We make it something completely different. We make rest a matter of selfishness instead of godliness. We think it's for us, but it's actually a gift from God. We, made re we rest in ourselves instead of resting in God. We make it material instead of spiritual. A lot of us, we, we think rest is something that we go, we go and consume, like, oh, it's a day of Netflix or, or taking a vacation or whatever, and those things are fine, but resting in the presence of God, most of us don't even know how to do it. So David continues this idea of rest. He's like, I need you to lie down. Literally, I'm going to put you down in a place of green pastures, by the way. It's not going to be barren. And then he says, he leads me beside still waters. Sheep actually get uneasy around fast-moving, noisy water because if they get if they slip or they get pushed in by the other sheep trying to get to the water and one falls in, well, they're, they're draped in wool. You ever fell into water with a wool sweater on? Not a fun thing. Well, they get heavy and saturated and, and, and they will get pulled away by the current and they will drown. So they need, practically speaking, they need still, quiet water. We obviously don't live in a still or quiet world. Noise is everywhere, as we know. Noise is in the car, it's at work, it's, it's in our home, it's even in elevators, right? I mean, it's everywhere. We have audio noise and visual noise coming at us literally nonstop. We choose to not escape it, though, because we're addicted to it. Because when there is silence, <laughs> when there is quiet, when there's a still moment, we don't know what to do with it. We actually get, it feels awkward to us. And so we immediately turn something on. People get home, and they turn the TV on, even if they're not watching it. You know, there's a study done about how much we're using our phones, and there's a lot of different studies out there about this, but 
it, we're obviously using them more and more and more. There's a study that showed that on average, on average, people are using their phones 39 hours a week. That's crazy. But then those same people who are using 39 hours a week were asked, how much do you use your phone? And they, they projected half, less than half of that time. So we're not even aware of how bad it's getting. We think we're not that bad. Most people say, oh, I don't even watch TV. And I'm like, or I don't even look at my phone or whatever. And I do that. I'm not a real on social media. But then if you, I mean, I don't, but I am, right? We are unaware of how much we need God to lead us to still and quiet waters. I love this quote from Parker Palmer. It's another book. Um, I think it's called Hidden Wholeness. And it's one of my favorite pictures. I've read this quote for years. I've always, it's always spoken to me for the need for quiet in my life. It says the soul, remember we're talking about the soul condition. The soul is a wild animal. Tough, resilient, resourceful, savvy, self-sufficient. It knows how to survive in hard places. But it's also shy. Just like a wild animal, it seeks the safety of the dense underbrush. And if we wanna see a wild animal, we know that the last thing we should do is go crashing through the woods, yelling for it to come out. But if we will walk quietly into the woods, sit patiently by the base of the tree, and fade into our surroundings, the wild animal we seek might, be, might put in an appearance. I mean, isn't this what we all want? We want the soul to come out, to feel full. And sometimes to do that, we think we have to cry out, God, please help me. We come to church, we make a lot of noise. And essentially what we're doing is we're just crashing through the woods. And God's like, I just need you to get quiet with me. Just allow stillness and quiet to replenish your soul. Be still and know that I am God. And this is not easy. It's sometimes difficult to create this kind of authentic space, but that's why, that's why God is like the shepherd is saying, let me be your caretaker, because I will help you lie down in green pastures. I will lead you beside quiet waters. And then he says in verse three, right? This is where it's all culminating, this first part of this poem. He says, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. Because the good shepherd cares about the condition of your soul. He wants to restore, renew, and revive your spirit. He wants to fill your tank. There's another passage over in Psalm 42, verse 11. David writes about the soul, and he says this, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And this is how some of us could feel, like might feel like my soul is cast down. But this word cast is actually more shepherd terminology. It's a shepherd term, meaning if a, to be cast is when a sheep has fallen and it'll be lying on its back with its legs up in the air, flailing about like a beetle on its back, right? Some of you are like, that's like me on my back. Yeah, you can't get up, right? He's, that's what's going on when a sheep is cast. And if it's left in that state long enough, it will die. So a sheep is, I mean, a shepherd is always counting his sheep to make sure that none has become lost, but also that none have become cast. And that is, not only is this something that can kill a sheep, but as you can imagine, a sheep in its cast state becomes easy prey for the predator to come along. A lot of times the shepherd 
we'll look for the lost sheep by the circling buzzards, right? But in the same way, when we are tired and we are stressed and we are weary and we are spiritually empty and dry and we're running on fumes, we become easy prey for the predator. The one who's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. But see, the good news is that our shepherd is always counting his sheep. He's always looking for us. And he's looking for those of us who have fallen. And those who have fallen and who can't seem to get back up, those are the ones he goes to and he puts them back up on his feet. And what's the, here's the beautiful picture about this. I've, I think I shared this a number of years ago, but I love this picture. That the shepherd takes, a lot of times when their legs are up in the air for a long time, they lose blood flow. So there's no circulation in the legs. So they get up and they're all wobbly and they fall back over. But the shepherd will literally rub the legs of that sheep to get the circulation back, going back going. And that way when it starts walking, if it's wobbling, it falls again. Well, guess what? He stands it back up, gets it, gets it going to where that shepherd can walk again on its own and go back into that flock. That's, that's the role of the shepherd with the sheep, always looking, always helping get back up to where they can walk again. And so many of us, we, we've struggled in the walk with God because we don't realize like, like, like literally we need to quit running and driving through life. And he is calling us, will you walk with me? Will you journey with me? Will you get away from that? Are we there yet mindset? Will you get away from this, this, this notion that you just have to keep pressing and keep going? Will you, will you literally slow down and walk with me? You see, we'll miss it if we try and drive through things that we should walk through. We'll miss it if we never lie down in green pastures if we never rest, we'll miss it if we don't get beside quiet waters and turn the noise down in our life and get in the presence of our good shepherd. We'll miss it if we wait on God instead of waiting with God. We'll miss it. I wanna do something, I want you to close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes, just do it. Close your eyes, I want you to just listen again to this passage of scripture. Let it speak to your heart right now. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Just let this, let this enter your heart today. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Can you picture it? The longer you look at this poem, the more you're drawn into it. Can you picture it? He leads me besides still waters. He restores my soul. He fills you up. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He will literally walk you into a righteous life. And even though I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because the shepherd, he has a rod and he has a staff to gently guide us and to comfort us. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, meaning there's nothing that can come against me. You anoint my head with oil. Your Holy Spirit, the oil of your spirit will come and will drench me and will cover me. And my cup, my life will overflow. It's an overflowing restoration. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Keep your eyes closed for just a moment. 
I asked you at the beginning, what's your soul condition today? What's your well-being? I want you to know that is your good shepherd's greatest concern. And I feel like this message for any of us that feel busy or too tired to love or too tired to deal with our soul and too tired to take the time to fill up our tank. But your shepherd wants to walk with you. He wants to journey with you and guide you to places of rest and quiet in your life. Your shepherd looks for those of us who've fallen and who need to be picked back up. He wants to restore you. All right, you can open your eyes. Three things for this week. If you need a few notes from this message, here you go. Take a pick, write them down, look at them and, you know, lock them in your memory bank, whatever. Three things for this week. Realign your wants. Make sure you aren't wanting things in the wrong priority. Ask yourself, what do I really want? What am I chasing right now? Maybe you need to quit chasing and start walking with the Lord. Can you really say, I lack nothing? Realign your wants. Number two, rest. Do this this week. Find a time, create a night at home, maybe a day at home. Take a walk, especially today or tomorrow, great weather. <laughs> Take a walk, sleeping on Saturday, do whatever it is to lie down, to turn down the noise and to get quiet this week. And three, restore. Fill your tank fully. Don't rush the refilling. Don't just do a drive-by real quick, get enough to get by instead of getting full. Restore those disciplines that you've let go. Restore that time with the God that you've shortchanged and let your heart be filled. Three R's for you. You're welcome. <laughs> to close, I wanna to pray together. Would you stand with me? I want to practice just a short time of being quiet together. You know, there's a guy I quote often around here. His name is Pete Scazzaro, and he champions this idea of a slowed down spirituality. And he said one time, he said that we are literally terrified of silence and quiet and that most people cannot stand more than 15 seconds of silence before they get uncomfortable. So to be a little countercultural, to push us past our 15 second mark, I want to create a minute of quiet today. In a moment, I'll pray, and when I get done praying, Robbie will quit playing for a second. We'll have about a minute of just quiet for you to just stand in the presence of God, to be still, know that he is God. Say, Lord, I would, you might even want to say, Lord, I just want to walk with you. I just want to walk with you. Maybe that's all you say to him today. Just a minute of quiet, and then we'll enter into some worship, and while we worship, this altar's open, as always, come and pray. Come and say to him, God, I just want to be with you. I want to trust you. I want to place my life in your hands. Maybe you've said that to him a thousand times. Say it to him another time. Let's pray, and then we'll just have this moment, this minute, where we just get to be quiet before the Lord. God, we love you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. Thank you for being our good shepherd. Thank you for the way you care for us. We give you these next few moments. We open our ears to you. We open our hearts to you. Thank you for your presence.
We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.